12 to 27. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an ear, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each of them, as he chose. If all were single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I, ha I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that locked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Thank you. 
up here as far as the sound system. And uh, anyhow, it's all, always fun. We have one of those Sundays where nothing's working. That's today, okay? Enjoy, enjoy, like I'm enjoying this experience. Today is part two, and we're looking at disciple disciplines. And what are the essential things that we need to do as a disciple of Jesus, okay? According to the Bible, what does the Bible say that a disciple of Jesus should do in order to grow, in order to image Jesus more and more and more as each day goes by? I want you to think about, as we introduce this idea of disciplines, uh, in thinking about adult disciplines. Some of us in this room are adults. It's okay if you're not. In fact, you might have a lot of advantages if you're not an adult yet. Um, but in being an adult, uh, there are certain things that you need to do to sort of be an adult, okay? Uh, for example, it's called adulting. Have you heard of this term, adulting? I don't know if I like that term or not, but adulting is like living like an adult, okay? And there are various things that we need to do to sort of be an adult. Uh, for example, you, you had to discipline yourself to get up in the morning to go to work probably last week or yesterday or the day before yesterday. And tomorrow you probably have your alarm set to wake you up in the morning. Why? Why do you need to wake up in the morning at a certain time? So you can show up at work by the time that your boss says you should be there. Okay, if you don't show up for work, you don't show up for school, it doesn't go well for you. All right, that's what it is to be an adult, okay? Uh, or another one, another adult discipline would be to go to bed at a decent hour so that you don't, if you're staying up all night, you don't want to be a zombie in the morning. Zombies are bad. Don't be a zombie. Set your something. Uh, go to bed by whatever your time is. The older I get, the, the earlier I'm going to bed. It's so sad. It's kind of depressing. Uh, but I have to, okay? Um, that's what you do as an adult. You have to get up at a certain time. You need to go to bed at a certain time so that you can actually function at work and be a productive type person. These are some of the things that you have to do, uh, disciplines that you have to do to be an adult. And so it is with disciple disciplines. Otherwise, we also call these uh, spiritual disciplines, or my favorite, habits of grace. Uh, David Mathis calls spiritual disciplines habits of grace, and that's the way I like to look at it. And just like adult disciplines, getting up in the morning, going to bed at a decent time, they, if you don't set your alarm, if you don't get to bed at a decent time, does that uh, make you no longer an adult? No, you're still an adult. You're not functioning maybe as well as an adult as you could. Um, so you don't have to do these things to be an adult. And the same thing as a Christian. You don't do these spiritual disciplines, these habits of grace to be a Christian, but you should. You, know, you see the difference there? We should. We are already disciples of Jesus. Let's just act like it. Let's just do these basic disciplines in order to grow into the image of Jesus. David Mathis, in this Habits of Grace book, he shares a couple of word picture illustrations that I want to share with you. And, uh, for example, think of your home. Sometimes in your home, do you, what do you do to turn on the lights? You flip the light switch or you press something, okay? Or maybe you clap your hands. you got the clapper thing going on. Clap, bam, the lights come on, all right? Now, when the lights come on, uh, did you provide the electricity to power that light bulb? For example, your brain thought of the idea, then the brain magically pushed electricity all the way down into your fingertips, and then the, the light came on only because the electricity flowed from your own fingertips when you pressed that light switch. Is that how it worked? It did not work that way. It did not work that way. All you did was, like BC Hydro provided the electricity. All you did, you opened up that pathway so that 
those a couple of things could connect and then the electricity could flow through to power the light. Do you see that? Additionally, same thing happens in your kitchen. Kitchen tap, when you turn on that tap, does the water flow magically because you willed it so? Because you made the water flow happen. Okay, again, brain signal all the way through, magic passing through your, your arm into your fingertips. You made the water flow, bam, that was all you. No, that's not how it worked. You just opened up the pipe, you opened up the pathway for the water to flow. See where I'm going with this? So is it with daily disciple disciplines. These are habits of grace. We regularly do certain things to catch the grace. It's like with open hands, catching the grace. And the grace of God, which is his unmerited, undeserved favor and blessing. It's a big category. All the good things that come from God, all his blessings, all his salvation, all of his Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's power, all of that is unmerited, undeserved grace that God pours into our lives. And we don't control the supply of grace. Jesus does by his Holy Spirit. And in the Bible, Jesus, he's given us circuits, pipes, and, and showing us how to open those circuits and pipes expectantly so that we can receive more grace and more power to change into the image of Jesus. That's all these things are, just opening up the pathway. Just pour it in, pour in the grace. Here's the danger, though, and I experienced this danger. You know, this idea of spiritual disciplines has kind of become a hot thing, I would say, over the last 20 or 30 years. And it's dangerous when, when you or I start to treat spiritual disciplines as a way to sort of score brownie points with God. Like, if I had a good week, I studied the Bible this last week, I prayed a lot, I served in my church, well, bam, God's going to bless me now, finally. All right, so the danger is if I just live life and obey God and do these disciplines, Bible, prayer, church involvement, then maybe God will bless my life more. Maybe he'll let me into heaven more, more, more willingly, you know. And this is a dangerous way of looking at spiritual disciplines. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. We should not desire to try to manipulate God, okay, to either save you or bless you more. Wrong approach, wrong approach, wrong approach. The purpose of uh, disciple disciplines and doing them in a joyful way, these habits of grace, the purpose is to, to glorify God, to worship Him, to enjoy Him more. It is not to glorify you. It's not to glorify, look at all my Bible time and my prayer time and my church involvement this last week. Look, basically, you're saying, look at me. Look how well-performing I am for God. It's not about me enjoying a Kurt-centered life. It's about knowing Him more knowing God more, more intimately, more truly, more deeply, not to get his love, but because you are already loved, already loved. And so you live out of that identity that you have in enjoying Christ. I can say a lot more on this, but that's really the purpose of these disciplines is to know God more deeply and truly and be changed by him. Let's begin by looking at a key discipline. There are three of them that I'm going to share with you today. A key discipline that Jesus exemplified for us, firstly in your notes, is this. Regular personal prayer with Jesus. Regular personal prayer with Jesus. Critical. It, this is critical discipline. Essential conduit through which you receive more of God's grace and power to change. Uh, imagine this, though, as we think about this idea of prayer. Some of you in this room have a smartphone like I do, okay? These things, 
There's a lot of good about them, but they feel like chains sometimes, like you're chained to this thing. But anyhow, imagine though, someone on your smartphone, they're calling you, it's ringing. The phone is ringing, your phone is ringing. You look at the display, who's calling me right now? It's the mayor of Surrey, okay? Or it's Horgan, it's the premier. Or Justin, the, the prime minister, he's calling me. Or it's the queen. Imagine if any one of these people, of course, anytime you might see you know, the mayor of Surrey on your call display, you're thinking, like me, no, pff, crank call. Of course it's a crank call. Let's imagine, though, it's not a crank call. One of these very so-called important people are calling you. How do you feel? You feel ecstatic, like they want to talk to me. They want to have a conversation with me. That's amazing. You feel honored. You feel respected. They want to talk with you. And my point is, there is someone greater than any one of these four important political people. There is someone greater who wants to talk with you, who wants a conversation with you. His name is Jesus. And if you view prayer in this, in this sort of light and way, I get to speak with Jesus, the greatest, most powerful, helpful person in the universe. And you view it as the great privilege and the great opportunity that it is you start to view prayer more differently. In fact, I would argue you'll find yourself praying more often when you view it that way. Instead of not something that's an obligation, like a, I have to pray. No. You probably won't be praying long if that's your attitude. You get to pray. I get to talk with Jesus. I get to reach out to him. This is helpful. What an opportunity. But first, let's define prayer. What is prayer? Uh, Wayne Grudem does a, a nice job of simplifying uh, this idea of prayer. He gives us a, a nice short biblical definition. And he says, prayer may be defined as follows. Personal communication with God. Personal communication with God. This is not complicated, right? You might be thinking, that's so simple. That's so easy. It, but it's profound. It's you. It's God. And you're talking personally. Interestingly, Jesus set a pattern of this kind of conversational prayer for us, his followers, his disciples. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 it says, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he, Jesus, departed. He went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. I mean, if the second member of the Trinity is praying and made that a high priority, you know it's important. And this isn't the only instance where Jesus prayed to the Father. He prayed early in the morning like this, off by himself, time and time again all throughout the Gospels. And so, why does Jesus prioritize prayer? Again, the Son of God, God himself, why does he prioritize personal prayer and a personal conversation with the Father? Well, for Jesus, it's, it's clear. Having a conversation with God is a big priority for him. Prayer is important to Jesus. It should be important to us as well. And what he is doing, very clearly, he's setting a pattern for his followers, his disciples, his apprentices, which is you and me if we're a Christian, to do the same kind of thing and make that a regular practice. Um, elsewhere in the Bible, the Apostle Paul, he talks about this idea of prayer in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. In short, three short words about prayer, he says, pray without ceasing. In other words, don't stop praying. Don't stop pray without ceasing. Never stop praying. Now, what does this mean? Does this mean I should be praying? Instead of preaching right now, I should be praying instead? if I was going to be really obedient to Scripture? Is that what it's saying? Should I be praying when I'm driving and close my eyes while I'm driving? Is that a good idea? Not a good idea. 
okay? Is that what praying without ceasing means? Of course not. Praying without ceasing, it's more of, a, of an attitude. It's more of an approach than it is a legalistic, uh, detailed, uh, literal kind of thing. If this, we're talking about you as a disciple of Jesus having this attitude of prayerfulness, praying throughout the day, open lines of communication with Jesus 24-7. Anywhere you go, you can pray. Pray at, pray at work especially if you're spending most of your time there. Pray as you're spending time with your family. Especially pray there. Pray while you're driving. Maybe especially pray there too. Like pray all the time. Because a lot of us are driving angry. You don't want to drive angry. You don't want to live life angry. That's why we should pray without ceasing. You see what I'm saying? And so what this is, it's kind of like this backdrop conversation. So even as I'm talking with or trying to talk to you guys today, I should be praying in the background. And it is possible. Some of you are better at multitasking than others. But do you see my point? Keep the communication lines open with Jesus because that's how much we need Jesus. Save me from me in this moment. I'm going to get really practical here, so bear with me. I want to give you a basic framework, and we've shared this uh, many times over the years, uh, both with new believers, new Christians who are like, well, how do I, how should I approach personal prayer with Jesus? And we've also approached, we've had a lot of longtime Christians here who have never, ever made personal prayer a regular priority or discipline in their life. And how did that happen? Well, no one taught them. No one showed them how to pray personally to Jesus, have a conversation with Jesus, okay? And so our basic approach is an acronym called ACTS. And so the idea of the book of Acts is kind of how you're supposed to remember this kind of thing. It is based largely on the Lord's Prayer. And basically it's A-C-T-S, okay? A is for adoration. C is for confession of sin. That includes daily repentance. Uh, T is for thanksgiving. Uh, S is for supplication. What is supplication? What are the supplies from God that you need? What are the supplies from God that you need? What are the supplies of of whoever in my life, what do we need? We ask God to give us the supplies of grace that we require. And so the idea is, imagine yourself, if this is not yet happening, setting aside time in the morning like Jesus did. It doesn't have to be in the morning, but that's a good way to start your day. All right? And then throughout the day, pray without what? Ceasing. There it is. So you're opening up the line of communication early on to set the pattern for the rest of the day, and you keep that line open. And as you need, as you're driving, as you're commuting, as you're working, facing a a difficult conversation at work, difficult conversation with a spouse, you're praying in the backdrop because, again, we need Jesus. And without prayer, that communication is not happening. We need Jesus every minute of every day, and praying without ceasing makes this happen. It helps us to change, saves us from ourselves, saves us from the remaining sin desires that are within us. And it just helps. He just helps. He wants to help. Will you open up this line more consistently in your life if prayer, personal prayer with Jesus is not a consistent thing in your life? I'm not here to lay the guilt bomb. I'm just saying you're missing out on that conduit of grace. You're missing out. Open up that light switch. Open up the plumbing for more grace to flow into your life. I'm off track here. Let me recap. Regular personal prayer with Jesus is a critical conduit for God's grace and power and love and transformation to flow into your life. That's number one. Number two, a second uh, very important disciple discipline. Uh, You're probably saying, I know this one already. Uh, Don't tune me out here. I know you know this, but are we doing it, right? Are we doing it? 
Number two, uh, disciple discipline is regular intake of and feeding, feeding on Jesus' words, which is all of Scripture, by the way. As many of you know, I love food, and I love it too much. It is an idol that I need to regularly repent from and ask God to help me give me self-control to replace the idol of food in my life. It's not good. But anyhow, as an aside, I love breakfast. Some of you in this room are not breakfast people. You go without breakfast. Some of you go without breakfast. You go without lunch, and then you just, just do dinner. It's like you're doing this, this fasting thing throughout the day. I don't know how you do that. I can't do that. I cannot do that. I don't know how, how do you start your day without something in your stomach to then give you the nutrition and the energy. Uh, your, your brain needs energy, all right? So how do you wake up without coffee? I mean, you need coffee. I need coffee. We need coffee. We need food. And in my staple breakfast uh, meal, I need an egg. I need an English muffin, sourdough, okay? And I need Ham. I need ham. You might be thinking, where's the bacon? I can't eat. I, I will eat bacon every day. I can't do that. If I do that, I will die uh, much quicker than I should. All right, so I have to limit the bacon. So it ends up being ham. It's a little less cal caloric. But anyhow, I need that stuff because uh, my body needs breakfast. That's how I'm nourished. That's how I get fed. That's how I start the day and get the energy for the day. As it turns out, though, not only does your, your body need breakfast, not only does your body and brain need food, your soul needs food. In fact, your soul food is much more important. So here's breakfast. Here's your soul food requirement. It's more essential to your overall state of being, your overall health as a human being than breakfast. Look at Matthew chapter 4. This is a uh, 4 verse 4. I mention this verse often, trying to beat the drum to help you know and help you practice regular personal intake of Scripture. And Jesus, in this chapter and in this uh, passage, he is confronting Satan. Satan's trying to bring Jesus down. And here's what Jesus says back to Satan. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is actually very incredible here. This is an incredible scene because you see Jesus, he has literally not eaten physical food for how long? 40 days and nights. 40 days and nights. So imagine how famished. Like if anybody's stomach is gurgling in this moment, it is, I mean, you can hear it from a mile away. That's the stomach of Jesus. He hasn't ate anything in 40 days and 40 nights. So imagine how hungry and famished he is. Then the devil sees his opportunity or, or thinks he's got an opportunity to tempt Jesus to sin. And he comes along and he says, Jesus, essentially saying, you're God, you can do anything you want. Turn those stones into fresh bread. Fresh bread. You know, take care of your hunger. Just turn those stones into bread. But Jesus makes the point. He's like, no, I'm not going to do that. No way, because my primary, my most important food, my essential source of nutrition and sustenance is not physical food. It's what? It's God's Word. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Where do we today find primarily words from the mouth of God? The Bible. The Bible. The Bible is a feast. You see, God is so good to us. He shows his love for us 
in giving us his very personal words. You know, it's not a bad idea to view the Bible as, I've heard it's a bit of a cliche, but it's true. It's God's love letter to humanity. It's like he's written this letter. He's inspired 40 different authors over 1,600 years, inspired by the Holy Spirit. To this, so there's this letter to humanity, how to be saved, how to be changed, how to connect with God. And he's reaching out to us. He's reaching out to you by giving us his word. You know, think about you know, the friendships that you enjoy. How do you connect with your friend? How do you enjoy that friendship? You talk. Text messages. Instagram messages, which I'm not an Instagram. I don't know how that works. Uh, you know, Facebook, whatever. Phone calls, personal conversation, coffee, having dinner together, having lunch together for an anniversary. Those are friendships that you're enjoying. It's communication is what makes that friendship happen. And you need words to be shared with, with one another so you enjoy that relationship and can connect. All right? And that's how it is with God. He's showing us who he is by giving us words that describe who he is. I want to very quickly give a, a bit of a sideline thing here. Very quickly. Did you know that God made the universe with something? You know what that something was? Words. He made the universe with words. You know that? Genesis 1-3, it says, let there be light. And was there light after he said, let there be light? There was. That's amazing. God formed the entire universe, and he didn't stop just that light. He made everything in the universe with his words. That's how powerful our God is. He can just say it, and it happens. And then we see God showing himself to the world. So he's like, here's what I'm really like. You know how he said, here's what I'm really like? He sent his own son, Jesus, 2,000 years ago to become the God-man. So Jesus willingly left the, the perfection and the glory of heaven to become a God-man. And he was born as a, as a baby and then grew into a man. John 1 verse 1 says that Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the Word of God. God's Word became flesh, became a human being, became the God-man. And in so doing, when Jesus came to earth and became the God-man and became the Word of God and is the Word of God, God was saying, you want to see what I'm really like? You want to see how loving I am, how good I am, how helpful I am? Here you go. That's me. This is Jesus. This is what the Father is like. Amazing. I want to ask you, are you at least in a small way getting a bit of a taste or a flavor or a sense of how important, how essential, how powerful God's words are to you, to me, or to us. His words are so powerful, and that is why regular feeding, regular ingesting, regular chewing on, if you will, the words of the Bible are so essential for your growth and for your health and for your well-being. If you are a disciple of Jesus, this is what you need. You need soul food more soul food. Day in, day out, more food. Eat, eat, eat spiritually. Don't eat too much of the other physical stuff. That stuff's way down the line. I want to share with you a bit how I read and ingest and take in God's Word. And this is not to showcase the pastor. Look what the pastor's doing. How impressive. That's amazing. No, I'm not trying to do that here. All I want to do is give you a little bit of help, a bit of an example. Take or leave what I'm saying. There are various ways to eat Scripture. Uh, you can memorize it and so on and so forth. Bible reading plans, those are all good. 
But let me show you what I do and, and describe this a little bit. You may find this helpful. I, I, took, I can't take any credit for this approach to Scripture uh, personally. Uh, I got it from someone else. Here's what I do, and here's what I've been doing in the spring and the summer. I've been reading through systematically from uh, the beginning to the end of the minor prophets of the Old Testament. And there's a lot of judgment there. It can be discouraging somewhat until you realize Christ was judged for us. If you're a Christian, you're, you're okay. Uh, but anyhow, it's very helpful, and right now I am reading through Malachi. It's the final uh, book of the Old Testament. It's actually an amazing book. It's really, truly amazing. They all are, but it's especially, it's really been profound for me. And what I do when I come to Scripture is I have my Bible open at all times so I don't forget to read the thing. And then the first thing I do is pray, Holy Spirit, help me to understand what you're saying. Change me with these words that are before me. Help me to, to ingest them and benefit from these words. So you've got to pray before you read Scripture. Then the second thing I do is I read about, I only read about 10 or 20 verses at a time. And in my hand, what do you think I have? A highlighter. I love highlighters. I am known to highlight way too much at a time, but I love highlighters, and it's yellow, uh, if that matters. And what I do, I read through the 10 or 20 verses, I just go through it, and as I read, anything that piques my attention or, or I think is interesting, I highlight that thing, that phrase or that word. And these might be promises of God, these might be things that he, instructions from God, uh, uh, areas of, Kurt, you need to change from this, whatever it is. And so I read through that, I highlight a couple of things that get my attention, and then I pray back those highlights to God. And if there's promises there from God, I say, thank you for that promise. If there's an instruction about pointing out sin in my heart, Jesus, forgive me for that sin, change me from it, help me to turn away from that and live differently, live your way versus the sinful way. Uh, whatever that, whatever the, the, the thing that's there that got my attention, I'm praying that point back to God. And the great thing about this approach is I retain, I remember what I'm reading in Scripture much more. Like, I have problems with memory now more than ever before. And so this is one little way that helps me retain it so that I can then share it with my wife or my kids or, or other friends. It's very helpful. But also, it teaches me how to pray more in line with God's will. Like, praying God's way versus Kurt's way. If I pray my way, I'm praying about my fishing opportunities more so than I am about what Malachi is telling me about how to conduct my marriage. I mean, there's great things about marriage in Malachi. Didn't know that, right? It's very helpful. You see my point? There's one approach you might use. There are all kinds of them. But anyhow, I hope you will view your Bible intake as essential. You need it. It will help you change. It will help help it will prevent you from making all kinds of mistakes. It will help you. It will help your marriage. It will help your parenting. It will help your, your attitude at work. But you've got to view your Bible intake as more important than your food, more important than your fitness routine. You've got to view your Bible intake as more important than, than your Netflix intake, Every, everything. It is that important. It's the primary nutrition that your soul needs. It is more important than all those other things. And if you need any direction or help, how do I get back on the wagon? Or how, how do I learn how to read the Bible for myself? I am there. Talk to another Christian friend that you might trust here or know in some way. You know, we want to help you get into this, this basic Bible disciple discipline of reading the Bible for yourself most every day. It's, what, it's the nourishment that your soul needs. Let's move on to a third key disciple discipline in your notes. It's namely this. 
takes membership class and becomes active church member, and that includes, there are four membership expectations that we ask for our members, and it's by choice. We're not going to force you into anything. Regular Sunday worship attendance, serving, volunteering in some way, giving sacrificially of your finances for the mission of Jesus, and then attending a community group, okay? Now, you won't find that point explicitly in Scripture, but we get the idea from various places. I want to share a story. Some of you have heard me share this story, and it's a story I, I share very often in the membership class that we offer. We offer the membership class about twice a year, by the way. And the story, it's a fascinating story. And several years ago, it was an Easter Sunday, and very often on Easter Sundays, we have some newcomers, people that are checking out the church. And there was one couple that I identified. They're new. I want to talk to them. Welcome them to the church. And so I say, hey, thanks for coming uh, to the church. I uh, hope it was a positive experience, etc." Some back and forth, some small talk going on. And then I ask them the question, which I often ask, how did you hear about the church? How did you hear about the church? Here's what they said. Well, every Sunday morning, we open up our laptop, we then Google Surrey churches, and then one of us closes our eyes, and then we point at the screen, and that's where we attend that Sunday. No word of a lie, this is what they described is their church attendance approach. Just random, according to the spirit, I guess, I don't know. I give this, anyhow. At that point, I'm trying to, to hide my annoyance. In my, I'm a pastor, okay? I'm a little bit annoyed. I'm trying to hide that annoyance and my frustration and my shock. And I, I muster out the word, probably with a plastic smile. Interesting. I don't know what I'd said in that moment. Tried not to be, you know, condescending. But thinking to myself, I'm thinking in the background, how can you grow as a Christian without committing to one local church family? How can you build meaningful Christian relationships if you're here and you're there and you're everywhere? Uh, you know, it just doesn't work practically. The fact is, you know, and, and Christians would be in this category as well, so this is probably going to be offensive. Christians, non-Christians, seems like everyone is allergic to something. You know what they're allergic to? Not pollen per se. A commitment. People are allergic to commitment. They don't want to commit to anything. In part, it's because they're already so crazy busy. There's so much going on. I don't want to commit to that, then I'm, you know, forced into that. No. But so the idea of committing to just one local church family and becoming a committed church member sounds terrible to many people. Like, why would I do that? I don't want that. I don't want to be tied down. I want my freedom. And my pushback is, you know, when people talk to me, I, I don't want to attend one church. I don't want to become a church member. And I say, respectfully, well, your workplace requires you to commit to your workplace. Your workplace has certain values that they want you to sign on to. Um, you know, there, there's a way of working. You want to sort of be in concert with what your workplace is all about. I mean, try, try to work for some place. Maybe this is you. I don't know. This happens sometimes. But generally, you want to be working at a place that you believe in. You believe in what they're selling or believe in what they're doing for society. Uh, all right, so there's a commitment level there. They probably made you sign something for that matter, okay? Um, and so your workplace requires you to commit in some way. And so why? Why is committing to a church family and becoming a member of a church such a problem for you if, if 
Your church is more helpful to you than your workplace for your spiritual well-being. Why? Why this disconnect? We should commit more to this than that. See what I'm saying? What about your family? Can you imagine? I don't really have a commitment towards my family. They're kind of annoying. I don't like to spend much time with them. My kids, I don't mean this, I see my kids back there. I'm being facetious. Uh, How do I explain? I don't know how to define facetious. Anyhow, I don't want to spend time with my wife. I'll just show up hit and miss for family meals, you know, just here and there and everywhere. How well will that work for your marriage? How well will that work for your parenting and the long-term outcome for your kids? It's not going to work well to be non-committed in your family. Well, when it comes to your church family, this is why the Bible is crystal clear. Each and every disciple of Jesus is to commit to your church family. You know, it's clear. The New Testament of the Bible, it views church involvement as critical to your spiritual growth as a Christian. It's critical. It's part, it's like together. You know, it, it doesn't, there's not this separate renegade, uh, just hit and miss church once in a while, or I don't need, as a Christian, I don't need the church. You know, I have, I have some family members who have given up on the church, okay, because they just can't put up with the non- nonsense. And, you know, a lot of the nonsense comes from them. It's like, well, that's why. You know, but it, part, New Testament views church involvement as a Christian as the key to you growing as a Christian. That's how it works. Let me quickly go back to the passage. Remember, Lucy was reading that long passage from 1 Corinthians 12. She did a great job at it. And I'm just going to look at a couple of things in this passage, and then we're going to land the plane, okay? Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, it says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body... So it is with Christ. In other words, Mercy Hill Church, you know what we are? One body. You know what else we are? The body of Christ. That's amazing. We are a local expression of the body of the God-man, Jesus Christ. What an honor. And just like your physical body, many of you have body parts in this room and members, okay? So does our church body have many members and parts. It's beautiful. We're so different, and yet we're all about one God. That is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's look at verse 21 in that passage next. The eye, then it goes on to talk about body parts. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, hand. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Point being, just like your body needs its parts to work together, we need each other. You need us, and we need you. We're family. That's how it works. Many people think that by not coming to church, well, I'm not hurting anybody. By not committing to a church, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm just hurting myself. I say no. Well, yes, I say yes, you're, you're hurting yourself spiritually, but you're hurting those who are not benefiting from your presence, who are not benefiting from your service, who are not benefiting from um, the encouragement and the love that you share back. So it's not just this one-way thing. It's a two-way deal. We need each other. We need each other. By you separating yourself from the church, you're you're not only hurting yourself, you're hurting everyone. So I'm so glad when we started this church, I knew what the West Coast was like, okay? West Coast culture, I mean, across the board, across North America, 
I mean, not, the idea of commitment is, is going down and down and down, but especially on the West Coast, okay? And I knew that coming here, we had to set the bar relatively high to send the message that this stuff, church is important. Living the ways of Jesus is important. And I'm so glad we decided to take a very high view of church membership from day one, mainly because, again, uh, how do you build a church with low commitment and low standards? I mean, that doesn't work well to build a healthy church. Why would we have low standards for the things of God, right? The local church is his idea. It's his creation, his chosen instrument to then increasingly usher in the kingdom of God on earth. It's his chosen instrument to draw people to God by which they can be saved through faith in Christ. It's his idea. And this is why we unapologetically expect our church members to just take the class. It's up to you. You make the choice. But take the class and you decide, Mercy Hill Church is for me. No, Mercy Hill Church is not for me. There's too much commitment required. I don't want that. All right, if that's you, that's fine. It's your choice. Then if you desire to become a church member who has been baptized like Jesus has, um, and then you, know, you commit to regular Sunday worship, you commit to a group, you commit to serving in some way, you commit to give sacrificially of your finances, um, that's what it is to be a church member. Okay, And if you would like to pursue church membership with me, let's have a conversation about that. I mentioned earlier that I was going to land this plane, and this is that moment. Let me close with this. Disciple disciplines are not complicated. For you to grow in Christ boils down to three basic things, just three basic things. Regular prayer, regular Bible intake, and regular church involvement. And if any of these three things are largely sort of absent in your life, I just want to challenge you. Would you prayerfully consider how to incorporate these three basic disciplines in your life for your own spiritual health and for the spiritual health of our church family? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for giving us and showing us in Scripture uh, these various disciplines, these habits of grace that help us to be transformed into your likeness. Please motivate us. If these things are not happening in our lives, show us what steps we need to take so that we are regularly praying with you, that we are regularly eating scripture, that we are regularly involved in our local church family. And so show us what those steps are. Lord, we would have none of this. We would have no help from you. We would have no church family. We'd have no disciplines uh, given to us from you unless, Jesus, you came to live our perfect life for us in our place, unless, Jesus, you came to die on the cross for our sins in our place, taken upon yourself our sins, even though you never once sinned, and then you were judged for us and killed. We would have none of this without your resurrection, where you rose from the dead to defeat Satan's sin and death forevermore. Now your resurrection is ours. And so we're so grateful that you did all of this for us. We honor, we praise you, and we love you for the gospel. Through Christ we pray. Amen.